Well, good morning, friends. It's a pleasure to be with you today and to have this opportunity to open up with you God's word and to hear him speak to us from his living and active word. Uh, And he has uh, something very powerful to say to us today. Uh, But before we get into God's word, I'm gonna pray for us one more time briefly, then we'll look at the passage together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is too hard for you. Saving sinners and sanctifying sinners is too hard for us. It's not too hard for you. We pray that you would do that work this morning through the preaching of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, One thing humans don't like being told is that something is impossible. In fact, most of us don't like it so much that the fact of being told something is impossible can often become the motivation to do the thing we're being told is impossible. And that's why there is such a plethora, or uh, there's such a plethora of motivational quotes encouraging people to do the impossible. So quotes from uh, longtime Dodgers manager, Tommy Lasorda, who said, the difference between the impossible and the possible lies in a person's determination. If you just want it enough, you can do the impossible. Or from the prosperity gospel preacher, Robert Schuller, the place where the impossible becomes possible is in your thinking. If you just think right thoughts, then nothing will be impossible for you. Or from famous actress Audrey Hepburn, the beloved Audrey Hepburn, nothing is impossible. The word itself says, I'm possible. Thank you, Audrey. I now have the motivation necessary to do the impossible. And now, to be fair, these quotes are normally aimed at accomplishments that aren't actually impossible for people, just extremely difficult. And if people just applied themselves enough, they might actually accomplish the thing they thought was impossible, like getting a perfect score on the SATs, or climbing Mount Everest, or running a sub-four-minute mile, or becoming the CEO of a company. Those things may actually be impossible for most of us. Like, it doesn't matter how much I train, I will never run a sub four minute mile. It is impossible. But all those things I listed aren't actual impossibilities for humans. Yet, as much as mankind likes showing that the impossible is possible, the reality remains that there are numerous things that are impossible for us. It is impossible for us to create something out of nothing. It is impossible for us to be in all places at all times. It is impossible for us to know all things, right? There are countless things that are impossible for us, and some of those things are the most important things that we need, right? It is impossible for us to defeat death. 
It is impossible for us to save our own souls. And yet, what we learn in our passage today is that while those things are impossible for us, they are not impossible for God because nothing is too hard for God. So I want you to go ahead and turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 18. We're gonna be looking at verses one to 15 of chapter 18 this morning. If you're using the Bible that we provided, you'll find the passage on pages 12 and 13. And like John said at the beginning of the service, if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take one of these copies as a gift from us to you. I wanna encourage you to open to the passage so that you can follow along as I read it. I'm gonna read the whole thing. But I also want you to keep it open in front of you because we're gonna reference it often in our time this morning. So, let me read the passage for us now as God appears again to Abraham. This is God's word. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. The main point I hope to persuade you of this morning is that nothing is too hard for God. And since nothing is too hard for God, God's people should believe all of his promises. We're gonna break that up into two points. Point one, we're gonna look at the fact that nothing is too hard for God. And point two, so we should believe all of his promises. So first, nothing is too hard for God, right? That, that is the main point of this entire passage and it comes at the very end of the passage, right? Everything else in this section 
is setting up that main point. The meal in verses one to eight and the conversation after the meal are all building to that main point. Nothing is too hard for God. And since everything else in this passage is really setting up that main point, we're gonna move quickly through everything that comes before it so we can meditate on the fact that nothing is too hard for God, right? So go ahead and look with me at the passage. In verses one to eight, Abraham hosts a meal for the Lord and two angels, all three of whom are in human form. We know that it's the Lord because in verse one, Moses tells us Yahweh, the Lord, appeared to Abraham. And we know that he's with two angels because chapter 19, verse one, tells us they're angels. And I said they're in human form because of what verse two tells us. Look there with me. Abraham lifts up his eyes and sees three men standing before him. Now, they're not right in front of him. He's sitting outside of his tent and apparently sees them off in the distance, which is why he gets up and runs to them. And at this point, it isn't clear if Abraham recognizes who these men really are, right? He, he bows down to them. He, he calls one of them Lord, but bowing down doesn't necessarily entail worship, as though he recognizes this as the Lord and he's worshiping him. Bowing down was just a way also to honor others. We'll see Abraham bow towards other men later in Genesis, right? And the word that he uses for Lord is not the same word that's used for Yahweh elsewhere. It can just mean honorable one. It's an honorific title to say, I, I, I've come to you, my Lord, my master, my, my, I am your servant, I'll do whatever you please, right? And I think that's all that's going on at this point. And then in verses four and five, he offers to host them for a bit of rest and refreshment. He tells them he's gonna bring water to wash their feet, right? A very kind thing to do for people who are walking out in the land of Canaan on unpaved roads. And then he offers them some food, which also would have been appreciated. And the three men agree. They say, hey, do what you said. And Abraham sets about making them a feast in verses six to eight. Right, he runs in to tell Sarah, make cakes, right? Quickly make some flatbreads. And then he has a young calf prepared for his guests. And after he brings out the food, he stands by them as a gracious and attentive host, kind of picturing Abraham standing at the tree just watching them eat. I, I'm gonna be there to get for you whatever you need. But then in verse nine, and following verse nine, we learn that these men didn't appear by chance. They intended to come to Abraham and to Sarah, and they intended to come to make to Sarah a seemingly impossible promise. Look at verse nine. They ask, where is Sarah, your wife? Hey, wait a second, we don't even know if Abraham has told them that he has a wife whose name is Sarah. Get some indication that these men are more than they might seem. Where is Sarah, your wife? Abraham tells them she's in the tent. We know that this is the Lord, so he's not asking the question because he doesn't know the answer. In fact, we'll see in this passage, he knows all things. He's asking to show the purpose of his visit. He's here to make a seemingly impossible promise to Sarah. And what is that seemingly impossible promise? Look at verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, if this is your first time visiting with us in our series through Genesis, then this may not seem like such an impossible promise. 
God's promising that a woman will have a child. What is so impossible about that? Right? It doesn't sound so impossible until you consider all that we've already been told about Sarah. Right? Over and over and over, between chapter 11 and chapter 18, we've learned about Sarah's inability to have children. In chapter 11, we're told Sarah is barren, unable to have children. In chapter 15, Abraham emphasizes that he and Sarah have continued childless for decades. In chapter 16, we're told again that Sarah had borne Abraham no children. Not only that, but by this point in their lives, Abraham is 99 and Sarah is 90, which is why in chapter 17, the chapter right before the one we're in, when God promises Abraham that Sarah will bear him a son, he falls on his face and laughs in, re- in response. That can't possibly happen. How could that be true? And to make sure we're clear on how seemingly impossible this promise is, Moses tells us again in this passage about Abraham and Sarah's condition. Look at verse 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. I don't know if cultures and customs were different back then, but Moses surely isn't sugarcoating it. They were old, advanced in years. Old people like that don't have children. Not only that, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. This refers to the physical changes that take place in a woman's body, making it impossible for her to have children after a certain age. Sarah had already reached that point. So not only had she been barren her whole adult life, not only was she old, 90 years old, she was now well past the point where she could have conceivably gotten pregnant if she was able to get pregnant. Pregnancy was now a physical impossibility for her. This is an impossible promise on every level, which is why Sarah responds the way that she does. She's listening from inside the tent to the conversation going on, and when she hears the promise, look at verse 12, she laughs to herself. She laughs to herself, it's kind of happening internally. You ever had that like chuckle moment, kind of maybe your shoulders are shaking a little bit from the chuckle that's going on inside, but it's not actually coming out after I'm old? After I am worn out, my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Right, put it, put it in modern day terms. Now, now, I'll have the pleasure of having a child. Have you not noticed that I'm 90? My husband is 99. I've been barren my whole life and now I'll have a son? You're right. It's impossible, right? But notice what happens next. Remember, Moses tells us that Sarah laughed to herself. It's not as though she blurted out in laughter for all to hear. Yeah, right, right? And the Lord's like, hey, what's going on back there, right? She's laughing to herself. This is an internal laugh, an internal unbelief. And even though it's internal, it doesn't escape God's notice. Look at what he says in verses 13 and 14. Why did Sarah laugh? Why does she doubt that I will do what I have promised? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, you can't can't help but read this passage and think about Jesus in front of the paralyzed man and the Pharisees are saying, this man is blaspheming in their hearts and Jesus is like, why do you say that I blaspheme? 
right? God knows what is going on inside of Sarah as she hears this promise. He knows that she laughed. Why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Am I unable to carry out the very things that I promised to my people? Is anything too difficult for me? This is what we call a rhetorical question, right? The answer to the question is obvious. No, no, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is so wonderful or marvelous that God can't accomplish it. God's power to carry out his promises, to fulfill his promises, is unlimited. God is all-powerful. This is what theologians refer to as omnipotence. Big fancy word, omnipotence. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Nothing is too hard for God. The kids, got a question for you. You can just shout out the answer. You don't have to raise your hand. Can God lie? No. Can God sin in any way? No, that is exactly right, kids. When we say that nothing is too hard for God or that God can do all things, we mean that he can do all things that are in harmony with his holy character and that nothing can stop him from carrying out his promises because his power to carry out his promises is unlimited. Doesn't mean that God acts in opposition to his very own nature and lies, right? God's power is unlimited in carrying out his purposes. If he promised to give a child to a barren, worn out woman who was old and advanced in years for whom the way of women had ceased to be with her, you better start getting the nursery ready because a baby is coming. Nothing is too hard for God. God can do all things, all things. And I want to bring into focus for you the importance of this promise as it relates to God's unlimited power so that you, sitting in your seat today, might grasp the massive encouragement that God's word has for you today. This isn't some random promise where God just saw some woman that he felt bad for, and so he decided to appear to her and just promise her a child, and poof, it's gonna come true. This promise isn't random whatsoever. It is central to God's plan of redemption in the entire world for all humanity and for all time. He promised in Genesis 3 to send an offspring of the woman to crush the serpent's head, to rescue mankind from sin, and to bring the blessing of salvation to all the nations of the earth. And that promised offspring of the woman is eventually going to come from Sarah, the barren woman. God chose a barren woman to be the one through whom the salvation of the world would come in order to show that no promise of his to his covenant people is too hard for him to accomplish. And he does the impossible over and over and over again to prove to his people that nothing is too hard 
for him. Scripture abounds with examples of this. It is literally overflowing with examples of the fact that nothing is too hard for God. So what we are going to do this morning as one people is we are going to do a bit of call and response. We don't normally do this in sermons, but I think if we don't do it in this sermon, you all are gonna miss out on the massive encouragement that there is for you in all of scripture that testifies to the fact that nothing is too hard for God. And I know that you as a church, CBC, as deeply spiritual and as Christ-loving as you are, you are also a very quiet congregation. I recognize that and that's okay. Sometimes I wonder if you're tracking with me, and amen here or there might help, but I'm not gonna put any pressure on you. Don't feel any pressure, but you should feel some pressure, right? But here, right now, you should not be quiet. I am, thank you, Steph. I am going to call out examples from Scripture that nothing is too hard for God, and you are going to say loudly in response, nothing is too hard for God. If you're visiting with us today, you get a free pass. I'm not gonna force you to do anything that feels weird to you. Uh, but if you want to join in in this, I think it might be encouraging to you. So I'm going to cite an example of God's power, and you're going to respond loudly, and you have to do it extra loud because you have a mask on, right? You're going to respond with, nothing is too hard for God. Are you ready? That's what I like to hear. And I just want to prepare you, there are 23 of these. 23. Gird up your loins. It's time to respond. Here's our first one. We're gonna do this one twice just so you get a feel for it. God created everything out of nothing because? Y'all got it, we're just gonna keep going. God judged the whole world with a flood because? God gave barren Sarah a baby because? God brought judgment on Pharaoh because? I don't know if I'm hard of hearing in the left-hand side, but the right-hand side's killing it. Left, y'all can pick it up if you wanted to. You don't have to, right? No, this isn't the law. Here we go. God parted the waters of the Red Sea and his people passed through on dry ground because? God fed his people with manna from heaven in the wilderness because? God gave his thirsty and parched people water from a rock because? God brought the walls of Jericho down without his people doing anything because? God caused the sun and moon to stand still because? God rescued Jonah from the belly of the fish because? God preserved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace because? It isn't. God kept Daniel safe while in the lion's den because? God gathered his exiled people from the four corners of the earth by his sovereign power because God sent his son into the world through the Virgin Mary because Jesus healed a paralyzed man because Jesus stilled a raging storm because Jesus cleansed lepers with a touch because Jesus caused the blind to see and the deaf to hear because Jesus lived a perfect life, never sinning once because Jesus went willingly to die on the cross to save sinners because 
And Jesus rose from the dead three days after he died because Jesus defeated sin, death, Satan, and hell because and Jesus is coming back to gather his people and defeat all who oppose him. And we know he will do this because nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Friends, God's seemingly impossible promise to Sarah of a son, a promise that God will fulfill in chapter 21, foreshadows and prepares us for the most seemingly impossible and glorious promise of all, which is the sending of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, through a virgin to crush the serpent, rescue his people, which he has done because nothing is too hard for God. And since nothing is too hard for the Lord, God's people should believe all of his promises. Right? That, that's point two. We should believe all of his promises. Just as Sarah could have and should have trusted God's power to fulfill all of his promises, even when they seemed impossible, so we can and should trust God's power to fulfill all the promises he's made to us, even when they seem impossible. Right? Consider some of the seemingly impossible promises that God has made to you, dear Christian. Right? For those of you who feel like you are constantly battling temptation and struggling against sin, hear his promise. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Not contingent, not may pass away. It has passed away. You are a new creation. You may not feel new, but if you trust in Christ, you are new because nothing is too hard for God. Not only that, but if you're struggling with temptation and even sin, hear again his promise that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been set free from the power of sin and God has promised to carry on to completion the good work he began in you. And he will make good on that promise because nothing is too hard for God. For those of you facing difficult circumstances at work or at home, think about God's promise to you. Your heavenly Father knows all of your needs and will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. If he cares for the birds of the field, if he cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, how much more will he care for you? And me, who are of little faith, right? God can supply all that we need, and he can strengthen you to be content in the midst of the difficulty you're facing because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And he can strengthen you because nothing is too hard for God. For those of you who are grieving, Perhaps you have received a, a, a bad report from the doctors or you have lost a loved one. Listen to God's word. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They will be comforted. God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He is the father of all mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our trials. He will strengthen you 
help you and uphold you by his righteous right hand, and he will, he will wipe away every tear from your eye and my eye and all eyes of those who have trusted in him. He will do that. You may be full of weeping. Tears may be overflowing. Your, your bed may be soaked because of how much you are te- uh, tearing up these days because of the grief and sorrow in your life. But hear God's promise. It may seem impossible to you, but he will wipe away every tear. And he will bring you into his heavenly kingdom where there are no more tears forever. Because nothing is too hard for God. For those who are fearful of the world, right? Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. He will lose none of those who have come to him. No one will snatch us out of his hand. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. All things, all things work together for our good, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church because nothing is too hard for God. And we know that all of these promises will be fulfilled because nothing is too hard for God. And we have to remember that when we come to Scripture, we come to a living word. It is a living word. God's word is living and active. What is happening here today might not be what you assume it is. As we open up the Bible together, it is as though God is descending in our midst and is speaking to us directly. And as sure as he confronted Sarah's doubts with this question, he confronts you and me today in our doubts with the same question. Is anything too hard for me? George. The Lord says, is anything too hard for me, right? Jenny, the Lord says, is anything too hard for me? Nicole, the Lord says, is anything too hard for me? Joel, is anything too hard for me? He is speaking to us today. We're not just looking back on Sarah and saying, oh, let's take some lessons from her life and this interaction. God is confronting us in our doubts today and is asking us the same question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Where are you struggling to believe that? Where are you struggling to believe that nothing is too hard for the Lord? What what circumstances exist in your life that you've begun thinking, this is beyond God's power to help? Now, let's just be real, right? I'm, I'm assuming most of the people in this room are Christians and you've learned you don't say stuff like that out loud because we know that God can do all things. Yes, we, we know it, we believe it. Very few of us are gonna say it out loud because we know the right answer. God's omnipotent, he has all power, yes. Do you really believe that? Are you living like that? In your heart of hearts, do you believe it? And listen, it's okay if the answer is no, or I'm struggling. I'm having trouble believing that because of what I'm going through, right? And it's okay, I say it's okay because it's not like God doesn't know what you think, right? I mean, just consider the passage. God doesn't just tell us he's all powerful, he's also telling us he's all knowing. He knows everything, even the things that we keep locked away in our heart. Remember, Sarah laughed to herself. She didn't even laugh out loud and yet God knew that she laughed. He knows what we're thinking. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. 
No creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to his eyes, including your heart and mine. He knows what we're thinking. In whatever ways you're struggling to believe that nothing is too hard for God, my general encouragement to you today would be to repent. Ask God to forgive you for confining his power to your expectations and ask him to help you live in light of the reality that nothing is too hard for him, right? One of the things that we are about is a, as a church is being disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not just called to make disciples, but to be disciples ourselves. We want to live out what we believe about God, and one of the doctrines we most readily confess and yet often fail to live out is God's omnipotence. That nothing is too hard for God should enable us to face circumstances that are otherwise fearful, desperate, or hopeless with a holy boldness, a supernatural confidence, and a divine courage because we know that nothing is too hard for God. Right? And this doctrine, this truth about who God is as he confronts us isn't limited in its applicability just to his promises as though he has all power to, to accomplish his promises and then everything else he's just like, yeah, I can't, I can't really help with that, right? We should absolutely be aware uh, of two dangers that confront us when it comes to the fact that nothing is too hard for God. We should stay away from the danger of prosperity preachers who tell you that if you just believe enough, God will give you whatever you ask for because nothing is too hard for him. You just need to believe enough. And if he hasn't answered your prayer, the problem is not with his power, but with your faith, right? That, that is a lie, right? And we should reject it uh, wholeheartedly. But there is another danger on the other side that we need to be aware of. It's a danger that is on our side where we stand. The danger of not actually asking God to do the seemingly impossible because we've subtly slipped into a mindset of thinking that God can only do what we think is reasonable. God will not be limited by your expectations or mine about what is reasonable. His power cannot be put in the box that we create for him. He has unlimited power to accomplish the purposes he has set out in the world, and we can ask him for all that we need and want, and we can append onto the end of it if it's your will, and we can trust that if it's good, God is going to give it to us, and we don't have to limit it by what we think is reasonable. This is why Jesus taught his disciples, like, you can move mountains with prayer, right? That has been wildly misinterpreted, but Jesus is trying to say to you, nothing is too hard for God. Friends, nothing is too hard for him, and so we can and should pray big prayers. We would like a church building of our own. And so we should pr be praying that God would do the seemingly impossible and give us a building, and even provide all the money that we need to purchase said building, because nothing is too hard for God. We should pray for entire neighborhoods, towns, and cities to turn to Christ. Whether you live in Chevrolet or Landover or Silver Spring or Fort Meade or Bowie or elsewhere, do you pray big expectant prayers for the people in your community, right? So many people in ancient Nineveh repented and believed that Jonah said all of Nineveh had, Nineveh had turned to the Lord, right? Do you actually believe that God is capable of doing that? Yes, of course I believe that he's capable of doing it. Well, let's pray for it. 
pray that God would do it again in our time. And we, do, we, we might have to wait for him to do it, and he might not answer it the way that we want, but we can pray it. And we can pray that if it's his will, he would do it. We should pray for unity around the truth of Scripture in the church. Not just in this church, but the universal church. A church that seems ravaged by division and disunity. Do you think the situation facing the church in America or elsewhere is hopeless? How does that hopelessness fit in, the, fit in with the fact that nothing is too hard for God? We should pray for family members and friends who seem far from the Lord. They may be beyond our power to bring back, but they aren't beyond God's power to bring back because nothing is too hard for God. But I also want to call out and recognize that some of you probably have been praying big, expectant prayers and may have been praying for them, uh, praying for, them for a long time, whether it's the salvation of a family member or praying that the Lord would give you a child or for healing from some chronic illness or disease, and hearing in this sermon that nothing is too hard for God might come across to you like a clanging cymbal, right? I'm not gonna presume to stand up here and, and tell you why God has not answered your prayers. I, that, those things are too marvelous for me. I don't have access to that information. But I know that God is good, and I can't say why he answer, hasn't answered your prayers, but I will say one thing. I do think the fact that you're here worshiping God in spite of the fact that God hasn't answered your prayers is a manifestation of the fact that nothing is too hard for God, like staining you through the midst of unanswered prayers and trials. To the teens, I, I just wanna say that this idea that God is all powerful and that nothing is too hard for him it gets thrown around a lot and it gets misinterpreted often and misapplied. I want you to realize that if you follow Jesus, there are gonna be times in this life where it does not seem like it's true, where it does not seem like God can do all things and it's gonna feel like God is far away. But I want you to know that when God says nothing is too hard for him, he isn't saying he's gonna heal everyone who's sick it doesn't mean that he's gonna answer every prayer. What it means is that he is going to sustain you to the end. He is gonna cause your dead and lifeless body to rise from the grave, and he is committed to presenting you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And he will do it because nothing is too hard for the Lord. When preaching on God's omnipotence to his church, Charles Spurgeon said this, I invite you, therefore, dear friends, and I am inviting you now, to turn the question over in your minds until the omnipotence of God shall be your one all-absorbing thought. You cannot think of anything which renders it necessary to put a footnote next to that text. No qualifications, no footnote, nothing is too hard for God. Everything God has promised you, he will accomplish. Every one of our fears about his care for us is unfounded. Every one of our doubts is unwarranted. If God has planned it and purposed it and promised it, he will bring it to pass because 
nothing too hard for the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. We know that you are able to do all things. We pray that you would help us to live in light of the fact that you are able to do all things. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of you in that way, to live lives that reflect the fact that we know that you can do all things because nothing is too hard for you. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.